You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Your host is Dr. Katen Sheff, Medical Director of the Lafayette Allergy and Asthma Clinic in Lafayette, Indiana. Peanuts, tree nuts, and shellfish are familiar allergens. But are there also new food allergens that are becoming prevalent in American society? Are there ways we can prevent food allergies from developing? Joining us to discuss are the common food allergens changing is Dr. Sammy Bana. Dr. Bana is Professor of Pediatrics and Medicine, as well as Chief of the Allergy and Immunology Section at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. Welcome, Dr. Bana. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's start with, uh, how is food allergy changing? I think it's changing both in quality and the quantity, meaning in the type as well as in the numbers. And the numbers, definitely, there are more and more allergies of every type, including food allergies as well. So this is not surprising. Particularly, people are eating more, and we are aware of the uh, pandemic of overweight or obesity, but also people eat outside a mixture of foods. There are many ingredients in it that they may not be aware of the components. And mixing of foods and hidden foods and additives so there is a good reason that they are increasing. This is regarding the quantity. Regarding the quality, people are eating more snacks. So find peanuts. The consumption of peanuts in general is increasing year after year. There is more and more popularity about fish and shellfish. It is a delicious food, but also nutritious food. And these are strong allergens. Both the seafood, the fish, and the peanuts are known to be immunologically strong. What are the, some of the other major allergens that cause food allergy? Definitely in infants, milk allergy is still the top because it is the first foreign protein that enters the body of the baby. And also it enters in large quantities. Babies drink a few bottles of a formula a day. And milk is known to have at least four individual protein fractions that each of them can act as an allergen. So milk is still common in infants. Adults don't drink a lot of milk, so it is not at the top. And younger children, egg comes next right away. Whereas in adults, we find that the tree nuts and fish and shellfish is more predominant. What about this idea that in some places in the world, they eat some of the same foods, but they don't have as much allergy? And I'm thinking peanuts, for instance. You know, in China, I think it's a large part of the diet. What's the difference? What's going on here in the U.S.? Most probably both genetic or racial differences as well as in the type of the food being consumed. As you mentioned, the typical example is peanuts. In the Far East, they are consuming a lot of peanuts, but primarily boiled. And boiling has been shown in the laboratory to reduce the allergenicity or at least to maintain it at a low level, whereas roasting increases it by allowing certain hidden allergenic or antigenic determinants, which we call epitopes, that they were originally hidden in the native of raw food, then become exposed by roasting. So that's one of the reasons. So the method of processing has something to do with it. What about some of the people who may have an allergen the first time that they eat something? Does that occur, or do they have to eat it once before? We know that 
the immune system has to be sensitized first. Therefore, there must be a previous exposure that made the predisposed person for allergy to produce IgE antibodies. And on re-exposure, if there is sufficient antibody, there will be reaction. But definitely, there are people, truthfully, they got a reaction from the first exposure. This means that they were most probably exposed without their knowledge. For example, there are many people who served a food by touching or by being in the neighborhood in a factory, and they never ate that, and the first time they eat it, they get a reaction. This means they have been sensitized by a route different from eating, by touching or by inhalation. There are also babies who were born already sensitized, meaning their blood has antibodies. And this area, although it is controversial whether the maternal diet affects the newborn, I think it does. I have encountered several instances where the mother is sure she never gave something with egg before that, and here is the reaction severe. I assume that the baby was sensitized in utero or through the mammary gland, which is much more known. Whatever the mother eats, part of it will be incompletely digested and will go through the circulation and some of it excreted in the breast milk and the baby may react to that by manipulating the mother's diet to find the baby became fine. Are other things being blamed on food allergies, other stomach disorders, GI disorders? Oh, yes, a lot. Food allergy is the most commonly blamed for our ailments. As you know, allergy in general is a common word among the public. They just throw any undesirable reaction to anything, whether it's a food or a drug. They call, I'm allergic to it. The typical example is lactose intolerance, which is a very common, particularly in certain ethnic groups and certain racial groups. The person will not be able to digest the sugar of the milk and will get gases, balotment, sometimes vomiting, lose bowel movement, and many people think that is allergy whereas it is an enzyme deficiency. If this is a benign condition, it will not be life-threatening like allergy can. So this is one of the typical manifestations. Another thing is that people who can eat fish that was allowed to accommodate, accumulate some bacteria before it is frozen immediately, and the bacteria can digest the muscle of the fish and change its histidine to histamine, and the person who eats that food, histamine, which is heat-resistant, can just cause a reaction very similar to histamine released from inside the body. And there are several other examples. People can eat inappropriate food and get vomiting or abdominal pain, and they think it is allergy, whereas it is due to irritation, for example. People who have gastrointestinal disorders in general, whether it is colitis, spastic colon, Crohn's disease, certain foods they cannot eat, and it is not due to allergy, but the digestive system is incapable to handle it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Caton Sheth, and joining me today to discuss our common food allergens changing is Dr. Sammy Bana 
professor of pediatrics and medicine, as well as chief of the allergy and immunology section at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. Well, let's talk a little bit about diagnostic testing, or, or what can people do to figure out if they do have food allergies? Thank you. This is a very good question. Since we mentioned that people often misdiagnose food allergy, and they claim it more than necessary. First, the nature of the manifestation. If the person eats something and within minutes is going to get hives or difficulty in breathing or swelling in the face or in the throat or immediate vomiting or diarrhea, most probably this is due to allergy to that food. So the history is very important. And some people experience this and can diagnose it right. Every time they eat a food, they get a few hives and the itching. That's clear. But often the patient does not know that they have food allergy. They come with a rash or with gastrointestinal trouble, and they don't know. So the experienced physician can take a detailed history in a way similar to a detective, actually, to figure out the relationship of circumstances not just the food and eating, but some other things, and the nature of the symptoms and the course. Often this may not yield much. So we have the allergy skin testing or blood testing. Allergy skin testing with appropriate number of food extracts, including those that are suspected and other possible foods in addition to that, or the blood testing. The skin testing, in my opinion, and uh, from the scientific point of view, is much more reliable because it is a biologic test. A drop of extract of the food or even a prick of the food, the natural food, and put it on the skin with a slight prick to expose the mast cells in the skin. If that food antigen met its specific antibody, the allergy mast cells will produce the histamine and cause vasodilatation, causing the redness and swelling and the irritation of the nerve endings. That is the itching in the spot. This is a biologic test, mimicking in a way, many methods, the biology of the natural event. Whereas the blood test, which is the specific IgE test, is a sort of passive test. It is looking for antibodies to foods, but these antibodies are in the serum and the circulation, not fixed on the mast cells. So it is not as biologic as the skin test. These tests, neither of them is 100% reliable. All what they indicate that the person is sensitized, meaning has IgE antibodies. The higher the level of IgE antibodies, the more likely that this food will be truly offending allergen. Verification then will come because the person may be positive to several foods, whereas in reality the person may be allergic to one, two, three foods in most of the cases. So challenge testing cautiously, preferably in a blind, unbiased way, will identify the truly offending food and that the person can be relieved from avoiding some food that the patient reacted by skin test or blood test, but not clinically relevant. Well, I'd like to thank my guest from Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center, Dr. Sammy Bana. 
Dr. Bonner, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Hot Topics in Allergy. Thank you, Dr. Chet. It's a pleasure for me. You've been listening to Hot Topics in Allergy. This show has been presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For more information on the ACAAI, please visit acaai.org. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. This is Dr. Bruce Bloom. Join me and my guest, Dr. Denise Faustman from Harvard Medical School and the director of the Immunobiology Lab at Mass General Hospital as we talk about a potential cure for type 1 diabetes. Download complete program information, live streaming, on-demand podcasts, and free CME at ReachMD.com. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air at XM160.